0: to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com com. That's Mormon Discussion, all one word. dot p o d b e a n dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. In today's episode, I wanted to spend time talking about how faith develops, and there are lots of different theories and schemes out there. Some of them that are talked about a lot are Fowler stages of faith. In Fowler stages, one through six when one gets to stage 5 or stage 6 essentially they no longer believe in the same way that their faith system has been set up in other words they are completely different than their than their faith system uh, portrays what faith needs to be and i see that as falling short and then i look at perry's scheme of cognitive and ethical development which i love a lot by the way and i'll try to leave links for that at the end of this episode on the site uh, so that you can click that and read those, but perry 's got nine positions, and those nine positions, and then there 's a transitional position within each of those nine and and that just tends to be too much and so what I did was I created just a three phase approach, and I think for those who are trying to understand somebody who is going through a faith crisis or for those who are in the midst of doubts themselves, I think you 'll be able to relate to this so this is a uh, an approach that helps us in understanding faith from the perspective of how to help one in a faith crisis grasp how to transition to a place where one can lead with faith so i start off by calling this the blue phase and the other name i have for it is a dualistic approach and i gave each of the three phases a color and i did that for a reason and we can talk about that kind of at the end so the blue phase the dualistic approach let's share a few thoughts on this In this space, church members will tend to separate the world into dichotomies or extremes. So they'll set up examples uh, such as good and evil, righteousness and apostasy, us versus them. And this can even be overextended at times, connecting two perceived opposites that really are not opposites. So examples, righteous and cursed. And we see a lot of that, where people want to split up things into dichotomies, and the dichotomies really aren't even a true opposite of each other. Members in this phase are likely to desire and work better within a very restrictive framework. Commandments are not only a piece of their gospel framework, rather it is the framework. Commandments, rules, counsel, are to be followed explicitly without any exception. In this phase, people will generally prefer structure in regards to the rules, and they need well-defined lines that they can trust in. So examples... Reasoning that we should follow leaders absolutely or blindly, with no exception. They are also more likely in this phase to overstate the rules. So, for example, they might make the Word of Wisdom include things that it doesn't. So they might say that for us to really truly keep the Word of Wisdom, we need to stay away from beer-battered onion rings. Or they'll impose their definition of the Word of Wisdom on others, such as maybe deciding that a certain type of diet is is appropriate for them as an individual to have. But rather than stopping there, they will begin to try and impose their dietary restrictions as part of the Word of Wisdom, and asking members or implying that for members to live as righteously as they do, that they should be living this dietary restriction as well. They will be more likely to overstate or view that when church leaders are speaking publicly, they are always speaking as prophets or apostles or inspired In relation to not generally making exceptions, they may say things like lying is always wrong. And I'll give you an example. We talked about this before. An intruder breaks into your home as he rushes upstairs to where the bedrooms are. You take your children and hide them underneath the bed. And in doing so, the intruder walks through and can't find your children and comes to you and says, where are your kids? I'm taking them. And you say they're not here, they spent the night at someone's house. Well, you lied. And for some in this dualistic approach, they will see lying as absolutely, in all cases, wrong. They may also say things such as murder is always wrong, but then struggling to reconcile Nephi and Laban. Or that breaking the Sabbath in terms of the letter of the law is always wrong, even if it means being able to serve one in need. So let's say I get out of church on Sunday and I'm low on gas. I find out that somebody at the other end of my ward boundary needs help. But I can't go help them because I can't fill up my tank and that would be breaking the Sabbath. That inability to deal with nuance or exceptions to the rule is predominantly found in this dualistic approach or blue phase. In their perception, those in the blue phase, all fits neatly into compartments. And there is safety in this reasoning. They are unprepared to handle nuance in large degrees. In a lot of ways, they like things spelled out. The fact that there are commandments, the fact fact that there are laws and rules and principles and those things that they have to live by, they, they very much like the restrictive boundaries that the church has in place. The next phase I want to talk about is called the red phase and I named it red intentionally because the other name for this phase is chaos. And it's important to keep in mind that there are people who are able to transition through this red phase without all of the frustration. And as you'll see, we'll talk about it as we go through this phase, but, but it certainly needs to be understood that while we're only going to talk about one or two types of ways that people transition through this red phase, there are a multitude of ways that it can happen. In fact, Perry's scheme of cognitive and ethical development lists seven ways in which to transition uh, through, I believe it is position four, which would very much relate to Ways in which you could transition through this red phase. So the red phase is chaos and it's, and here's, so here's some thoughts on this phase. This phase can be most easily understood as when a member of the church comes to grips that the events and behavior around them no longer meet the expectations and assumptions of their dualistic approach. Examples. They begin to see church leaders are not perfect, that mistakes happen, that history is not so simple once explored. Many types of transition can occur at this point, but for the purpose of this paper, we're only going to describe two. This stage can be a chaotic and can contain more tension than one can easily handle. Faith crisis, if it occurs, normally manifests itself in this phase. This phase is normally an adjustment phase, where one begins to strip away what works and what fits and what does not one must either rebuild their framework, in other words, one must actually tear down all of their assumptions and expectations about what they thought Mormonism had to behave like in order for it to fit in their paradigm, and then rebuild it in a way that their assumptions and expectations are more realistic. Or, they can also retreat back to the blue phase. If one retreats, They will not be able to do so without abandoning one dualistic approach for another. In other words, if one does not move through this red phase and come out the other side, one of the options one can have is to retreat back into the blue phase, which essentially would be to hold on to one's unrealistic or immature, and I don't mean that in a negative way that hurts feelings, but but in a way that kind of explains this. One can retreat back into a place where their assumptions and expectations are still unrealistic. So Mormonism doesn't fit, it doesn't work, and so the church is no longer true. And they can simply leave Mormonism then and become any other faith, an evangelical, an, uh, an atheist, a Catholic, a Hindu, Muslim, you name it, doesn't matter. But what will happen is they'll still hang on to those bad assumptions and expectations. And then they also have room then in their new faith or new walk of life to be just as dogmatic, just as black and white as they were within Mormonism. And I have seen this happen multiple times. And so we simply need to be aware that that's one way to get out of the red phase is to retreat back to still be dogmatic and to simply abandon Mormonism for some other faith, or some other non-faith, I guess, when we refer to atheism or agnostic. This does not mean that everybody who joins another faith and leaves our church retreated, not in any way, shape, or form. It I'm simply saying that that's one possibility. There are certainly members who have moved through this red phase into the next phase, which is the green phase. It, but have left Mormonism and have joined another faith or have become atheists. I, I certainly respect that. While the reality is that they are beginning, and this is those in the red phase, while the reality is that they are beginning to see nuance, the, the nuance in the world, they don't yet have the recognition to see it for what it is. What is meant by this is that rather than see their expectations and assumptions from the blue phase as unrealistic, they may simply hang on to those assumptions and expectations and decide rather that their beliefs no longer hold true. So, for example, if one feels murder is always wrong and then encounters Nephi murdering Laban on God's command, they either have to reconcile that by saying that, that Nephi's motives were not righteous or inspired, that the Book of Mormon is false, And then they have to abandon a faith that prescribes these exceptions entirely. So when one encounters Nephi slaying Laban, and one also holds a thought that murder is always wrong, now they have this black and white rule where there is a behavioral act and a belief that contradict each other. And so one either has to abandon Nephi and his motives or one has to abandon the faith if they're going to hang on to this idea that murder is always wrong in every single case. A person going through this process of testing what works and what does not may have moments of anger, loss, betrayal, sadness, anxiety, depression and feel the urge to resolve this conflict quickly. These feelings are serious and must be handled with empathy and understanding, since in their mind their assumptions and expectations are realistic, or at least given to them by the church. They may display a feeling of anger and act out against the church. They may rebel against standards or test the waters of inactivity. They may feel lied to or deceived, and at the very least some level of trust has been lost between them and the faith that they once loved. Any effort to compel the person to get back in line is risky and at times inappropriate, though each issue and circumstance should be judged on its own merit. Generally, the person needs flexibility. They need to see that any truths they discover likely still fit within the gospel. They need to know that they do not have to fit a mold and are not required to accept other truths blindly, but rather encouraged to seek confirmation from the Spirit And be aware that they are encouraged by the church to use their agency. They need to understand that there is more than one way to live Mormonism. That just because the majority of the members in their ward see the gospel a certain way, that they're certainly permitted to have a more flexible approach or a different outlook on the church. That's not to say that there aren't things that we have to believe to be worthy, active, participating Latter-day Saints. But in general, there's a lot more flexibility than most people think. As they are met with gospel truths and principles that permit them the flexibility they seek, and display a Mormonism that is more encompassing than they first realize, they will begin to recognize that it was not the gospel that was misaligned, but rather their expectations and assumptions, recognizing this, provides them a road back to a place of faith, which we will speak of in the next phase, which we will call the green phase. If they do not recognize this, they will likely withdraw their activity, disengage emotionally, or abandon faith altogether. You see, if if one who is in crisis does not see that these new truths that they're discovering can still fit within Mormonism, that there's more flexibility for people like them than they're likely to leave the church or at the very least disengage emotionally uh, from the faith. Some people will still hang around simply because they know the risk and loss of family by leaving the church is too great. Many people who go through this red phase do so silently Without saying a word to anybody. And so while in your ward or stake you may see very little faith crisis, there almost always is one, two, maybe three people who are deeply struggling but have no idea who to talk to and who to go to to get help. Let's talk about the final phase. We call this the green phase and we also call this, we also call this the reconciliation phase. Members in this phase recognize and cherish nuance. They see the breath of the gospel and find joy in its complexities. They see that issues rarely tend to be cut and dry and likely need much more study, ponder, and prayer to arrive at conclusions. They also tend to realize that inspired answers are for them, and they are careful not to impose those answers on others. So another difference here is if you go back to the red phase, People in this crisis will feel a need to prove that their view is actually more correct or more in line than the majority of the people in their ward. And so they'll feel a need to drag people out of the blue phase and bring them into the red phase because they think that's what's best for them. People in the green phase, people who have worked through this this chaotic phase into a phase of reconciliation, recognize that in a sense all of these phases are safe and healthy and they're transitional and that what is unhealthy is to push someone from one phase into another. That in other words, if someone's in the blue phase and someone else is in the red phase, the person in the red phase should respect the person in the blue phase enough to let them be there and let them make their own transition throughout their journey and not to force them from one place to another. The person in the red phase will in Sunday school make a point of talking about the complexities of the gospel in a sense to try and drag someone from the first phase into the second. Someone in this last phase, this green phase, is comfortable letting people be where they're at and and maybe planting seeds and absolutely standing by ready to help for any who are struggling, but to be comfortable to let every person's journey be their own. Whereas the blue phase preferred structure and commandments, the green phase prefers, as Moroni 7 teaches, the ability to judge for oneself based on the Holy Ghost, what it is that brings them closer to Christ. This is not to be understood that they seek to break commandments, or live above the law, but rather, on those items that are beyond the doctrine of the church, they enjoy the freedom to govern themselves. They are more likely not to be bothered by differing views and actually embrace others' differences. They tend to be more tolerant of difference and recognize that while their lowercase truth is theirs, it is not another's uppercase truth. They have reconciled their assumptions and expectations to be more realistic and to better fit life's experiences. They tend to be able to distinguish more easily between culture and doctrine. It must be stated here that their views still have flaws and errors, but they also tend to recognize that and realize their view will be one of constant shifting and reappraisal. They tend to not impose their views on others, but rather offer them as one additional way to consider how to connect things. Richard Bushman in his 2008 presentation, Joseph Smith and his critics, described a reconciled Latter-day Saint this way. He said, Number one, they often say they learned the prophet was human. They don't expect him to be a model of perfect deportment as they once thought. He may have taken a glass of wine from time to time or scolded his associates or even have made business errors. They see his virtues and believe in his revelations but don't expect perfection. Number two, They also don't believe he was led by revelation in every detail. They see him as learning gradually to be a prophet and having to feel his way at times like most church members. In between the revelations, he was left to himself to work out the methods of complying with the Lord's commandments. Sometimes he had to experiment until he found the right way. Number three, these newly revived Latter-day Saints also develop a more philosophical attitude toward history. They come to see, like professional historians, that facts can have many interpretations. Negative facts are not necessarily as damning as they appear at first sight. Put it in another context alongside other facts. They do not necessarily destroy Joseph Smith's reputation. Number four. Revived Latter-day Saints focus on the good things they derive from their faith community. The comforts of the Holy Ghost, the orientation toward the large questions of life, contact with God, moral discipline, And many others. They don't want to abandon these good things. Starting from that point of desired belief, they are willing to give Joseph Smith and the doctrine a favorable hearing. They may not be absolutely certain about every item, but they are inclined to see the good in the true in the church. And so that takes care of the three phases. And I I simply want to be clear that there are people out there who think that in order for one to be faithful that one has to ignore these issues, or the opposite, that as soon as someone were to come in contact with the deep history and the complexities of Mormonism, one would have no choice but to leave the church. And I would simply say that's not the case. I don't think there's an issue that I'm unaware of. I think for the most part, I know pretty much every issue that is troubling within Mormonism. And yet I stand here today with a testimony and with faith, and, and having experienced the spiritual side of Mormonism, and completely believing that to have come from my Father in Heaven. There are some things though that we need to just briefly touch on before we end. Some notes regarding these phases. One is never in one phase entirely. In fact, it is likely that one has some footing in all three phases. Also, these phases are not to compare one with another but rather to show how one got into a faith crisis and empower them to get through it maintaining faith. Lastly, as we mentioned before, there are multiple ways to transition through the red phase, and we only touched on two of them here. I hope this was informative for you. I hope in some ways, as many of you are struggling or you've got a family member who's struggling, you can kind of see this process in the way that I described it And that people will say, you know, this helps me so that I don't feel alone. So that I know that there is a way to get through and still believe. What I would say to somebody in that red phase who's struggling, it's so easy to look out and simply say, you know, my assumptions and my expectations are absolutely realistic and inappropriate. And so it's Mormonism that has to change. But in reality, that's not the case. Oftentimes, and I would even say in most cases, if there is some issue that you see as preventing you from having faith in the restored gospel, I would say almost to a T, every time it goes back to an assumption or expectation on your part. Now don't get me wrong, those assumptions and expectations you have were not just created by you. They were created by teachers in your ward, by bishops in your ward, by other members of your ward, by books written by general authorities. And, and as you studied and learned and listened to those who instructed about the gospel, you set up assumptions and expectations that now, better understanding the church and its history and the nuance within it and its complexities, Those assumptions and expectations are not realistic. And I'll just give one example. I always go back to this one, but it's evolution. I know when I joined the church that those who had been in the church a lot longer than me, and who had a lot more experience than I did, taught me that evolution was a heresy, and they used as their proof of that a talk by an apostle, Elder Bruce R. McConkie, in his talk, The Seven Deadly Heresies. And they taught that evolution was absolutely false, and that for one to be a believing Latter-day Saint, essentially one had to believe that evolution was false. Now, whether evolution is true or false, I've said this many times, it doesn't matter. And in in all honesty, I don't really have a horse in the race. But what I came to understand that was, while Elder McConkie taught that, and while his father-in-law, Joseph Fielding Smith, who also served as a president and prophet of the church, also taught that. That there were other general authorities in that same same group who disagreed with that stance and who left room for evolution to be true. I know I know looking back now, I know that Elder uh, our President David O. McKay was comfortable with evolution, that John Widstone and B. H. Roberts and James Talmage all had more liberal Ideas on evolution. And so my assumptions. Were that prophets and apostles. When speaking to the church. Were always speaking. The mind and will of the Lord. That since that was the case. That Elder McConkie and President Smith. Were speaking the mind and will of the Lord. And therefore evolution being a heresy. Was the mind and will of the Lord. And what, what is reality is that that's not the case. In fact, the reality is that evolution is a non-issue within Mormonism. That the First Presidency and the Church's official position is that the Church has made no declaration, and the Lord has not revealed any truth to the Church as a whole on the subject of evolution, that members were free to believe one way or the other, and still be full-believing, fully active, fully worthy Latter-day Saints. But if you would have asked me at the time, when this was really problematic for me, if I thought that my assumptions and expectations were unrealistic, I would have told you, nope, these are as realistic as you can get. And what I don't want to happen is that some of you out there put up these walls where you're unwilling to really look at your assumptions and expectations. To really dig down past all the culture and policy all the false doctrine and, and personal opinions and all those other things. And sift through to get the actual doctrine of the church. And once you do, once you do that, once you're open to faith and you do that, to a T almost every single time, there is plenty of room for faith. Thank you so much. God bless. And may the Lord warm your shoulders.
1: I will heal the flame and all my love is gone.